A warm welcome to another Action for Happiness podcast. As always, I'm your host, Guy, and what a great pleasure it is to be part of this incredible charity, especially in these extraordinary and unusual times. We are looking forward, hopefully, to 2021 as an onwards and upwards year. And to kick it off, we are thrilled again to chat to our longtime friend, Dr. Daniel Goleman, author of the iconic Emotional Intelligence book, which has been a bestseller since its release more than 25 years ago. Dan's contribution to our understanding of mental health, bringing the concept of emotional intelligence to the masses, has shifted the way businesses work and treat each other, to the way that we interact with ourselves and in our relationships. This podcast features a conversation between Dan and our director, Dr. Mark Williamson, at a recent Action for Happiness online event, and they dig into the important questions on what the foundations of emotional intelligence are, how can it be cultivated in adults and children, and how it can help us develop resilience and live happier lives. At the end of the episode, Dan leads us through a breath meditation that we highly recommend you stick around for. For the full video version of this audio podcast that includes extra bonus questions asked by our listeners during the live stream, you can visit youtube.com forward slash action for happiness or just pull up YouTube and search for action for happiness. The people who had very high IQ were not necessarily very successful. Uh, they sometimes had terrible personal relationships. Uh, and it got me interested in emotional intelligence, which means being intelligent about emotions. Uh, emotions are the brain's way of making us pay attention to something. Uh, and so when you feel happy about something, you zoom in on that. When you feel angry about something, you pay full attention to that. Uh, there's a saying in Tibet, if you can do something about what's upsetting you, why worry? If you can't do something about what's upsetting you, why worry? Don't forget to subscribe, like, and follow to keep up to date with all our content. Find out more at actionforhappiness.org. Join the movement, be the change. Dan, lovely to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Mark, it's always a pleasure to join Action for Happiness and you. Thank you. I think this is the fourth event we've done together. We're so grateful for all the time you've given over the years to, well, for everything you're doing, but also for supporting our mission as well. And it's a really exciting chance to be together because we're celebrating 25 years since your seminal book, Emotional Intelligence, was first published. So, Dan, welcome. Uh, it's it, Emotional intelligence is the theme, and there's all kinds of ways I'd love to explore this topic. But before perhaps we be, even revisit what emotional intelligence is, I wondered if we could start back with emotions more generally. I've been feeling a whole range of emotions today from worry to joy to enthusiasm as every day. Why do we, why do we have emotions? What's the, what's the purpose of emotions, Dan? Well, you know, from a evolutionary point of view, if you really want to zoom out, uh, emotions are the brain's way of making us pay attention to something. Uh, and so when you feel happy about something, you, zoom in on that. When you feel angry about something, you pay full attention to that. And in fact, it turns out that uh, emotional distractors, and this is from a modern life point of view, are more powerful than any other kind. Our emotions tell us what matters right now, what's important. And so uh, from a survival point of view, emotions, uh, interestingly, uh, the emotional centers have a one neuron long connection to the eyes and the ears, which means that they get information very fast. 
which in uh, evolution must have been key to survival. You know, here comes something that eats me, I'm going to run. Or if there's something I have to I eat, I'm going to run after it. But you need to do that right away. And that's what emotions have done. Uh, unfortunately, today in modern life, that design, which works so well in most of human prehistory, presumably, uh, gets us in trouble. We mm. can have what you might call a, a emotional hijack. I, I've called it the amygdala hijack in my book, Emotional Intelligence, because it's the amygdala, which is a part of the emotional centers, which is the brain's radar for threat. That's what gets that one neuron long message. And it, it can hijack the rest of the brain, particularly the rational brain, the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that comprehends, that makes good decisions. It can take it over in an instant if it thinks there's an emergency. And of course, the sign that we've had a hijack is not only do we have a strong emotion, it's very sudden, but when the dust settles, we regret what we said or we did. That's the mm. hallmark of the hijack. Uh, it just gets us in trouble, gets us in trouble. And it gets us in trouble these days with modern life because we're responding to symbolic realities, you know, things like I'm not being treated fair rather than biological realities, like it's gonna eat me. Uh, but we have the same surge of biology as a result. So uh, that's, that's the short yeah, answer. Really, really helpful reminder of this really powerful signaling system that we have that sort of drives every aspect of our behavior. So Dan, I really enjoyed reading the, uh, the new introduction you've written to the 25th anniversary edition of your book. And you very humbly in that sort of recognize that it wasn't you that created the concept of emotional intelligence, but your book did certainly put it on the map. And I, I, although I read it fairly soon afterwards, I wasn't um, paying as much attention at that time. But I know there was a real distinction between sort of intellectual intelligence and this emotional intelligence, IQ and EQ. I wondered if you could sort of remind us of what, what led to the birth of EQ or emotional intelligence, EI, as you prefer to call it, and, and perhaps a bit more about what that means. Well, you know, uh, I was responding when I wrote the book to an upsurge of interest in the IQ measure, uh, the intelligence quotient. There had been a bestseller that, uh, you know, pumped it up and said, you know, if you're reading this book, you probably have a high IQ and that sets you apart. And I, you know, I went to some very competitive universities and uh, I saw, you know, uh, from fellow students, the people who had very high IQ were not necessarily very successful. Uh, they sometimes had terrible personal relationships. Uh, and it got me interested in emotional intelligence, which means being intelligent about emotions. And I realized that the four parts of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, managing yourself, empathizing, tune into other people's feelings, and then putting that all together to have effective relationships, had a huge impact on how we do in life. And the book, Emotional Intelligence, is in large part an argument for teaching these skills to kids so that they get it right in the first place. They don't need you know, a psychotherapist to undo the patterns that they've learned. And also, um, I was surprised it's had a huge impact on business because it's understood that leaders particularly need emotional intelligence. You know, You need your technical skills to get the job, they're called threshold competencies, what gets you in the door. But once you're in the game, you're basically competing with people as smart as you are. And who's gonna be the best team member? Who handles themselves well? Who can tune into other people, who can collaborate? Those are the things 
that mark you as outstanding. And that's why people become leaders. Leaders need to be able to manage people. They don't need technical skills so much anymore because the people they're managing have them. So basically, uh, I see IQ is important, but it's not all that matters. Emotional intelligence matters extraordinarily. So, so it, with that in mind, Dan, I'd love it if you could perhaps dive a little bit deeper into what you consider to be the foundations of emotional intelligence. You, you, all, you already mentioned, I think, the sort of self-regulation and the relationships with others. Can we go a little bit deeper into each of those? Sure. Uh, and in fact, I think you'll find they're very congruent with what you've, you know, the activities of action and happiness. Uh, the first is self-awareness, knowing what you're feeling, why you feel it, how it's impacting what you do or what what you say. Uh, and the, the application of self-awareness is mindfulness meditation, which is training in paying full attention to what's happening right now. Then there's using that information to manage yourself better, uh, you know, to uh, get over being upset. Resilience uh, technically is defined as how long it takes you to recover from the peak of your upset I'm really angry or I'm really scared to uh, getting back to that calm, balanced state that you were in before. And people who are highly resilient, who recover quickly, do much better than people who uh, are poor at resilience. Because if you're poor at it, it means you'll be thinking about that thing that upset you, you know, a day later, two in the morning, you wake up. It doesn't do you any good to, to ruminate about that. So it's good to be able to drop it. Another part of self-management is being adaptable, being agile and changing uh, you know, how you get to your goals, but keeping your eye on your goals, uh, despite setbacks and obstacles, kind of bouncing back and also staying positive, staying optimistic, no matter what happens. Uh, there's a saying in Tibet, if you can do something about what's upsetting you, why worry? If you can't do something about what's upsetting you, why worry? <laughs> In other words, worry doesn't help you at all. And then the third part is tuning into other people, empathy, knowing what they're feeling. Uh, and people don't tell us in words. They tell us in tone of voice, facial expression, and so on. So picking that up and then using all of this, putting it together to have effective positive relationships, to have a positive impact. I learned a lot from my wife about emotional intelligence. <clears throat> She's really got it. This morning, she changed an appointment with her dentist. And for me, you know, I would have called and I would have said, yeah, I want an appointment in April. I don't want to go in December. Bingo. She spent a lot of time chatting with the person at the other end, getting to know her. They laughed a little about this and that. And, uh, and in, in the midst of all that, she changed the appointment. But really, she was connecting with the other person. And, you know, I see her as a, a teacher for me in emotional intelligence. That's a lovely example, Dan. Thank you. To what extent is emotional intelligence uh, something we have inherently right. at birth? Um, uh, and to what extent is it some, a skill we can cultivate? Well, this is uh, interesting because it separates emotional intelligence from IQ. IQ basically is a measure of how rapidly we can learn something new. And it doesn't seem to budge much in life. However, emotional intelligence is almost entirely learned and learnable. Uh, and this is key because uh, you may not be great at empathy now, but you can get better. Uh, you may not be great at managing your upsets, but you can get better. And we know this, we see it. For example, mindfulness, this is really important. 
mindfulness turns out to strengthen the very circuitry that helps you recover from an emotional upset. Uh, and this is uh, from uh, brain scans done at the University of Wisconsin and other centers. It turns out that um, you know the prefrontal cortex is the rational part of the brain, the thinking brain. It's the part of the brain that makes decisions. The right side of the prefrontal cortex is taken over by the amygdala when we have that hijack I was talking about. The left side can just say no. It inhibits the amygdala. And it turns out that the circuitry on the left side of the prefrontal cortex becomes more strongly connected uh, the longer you've been a meditator. So mindfulness is very good for, for resilience. Uh, so, so I've gotten a bit off track, but back to you, Mark. No, thank you. It's a really good point. I was just reflecting on, uh, despite having practiced uh, mindfulness for many years myself and having long been a, an avid student of the idea of emotional intelligence, even though I didn't really learn that at school, I do feel blessed that I came from a family environment that had an emotional intelligence to it. Um, but I, even so, today we had uh, some Com complicated situations at work. We had a sort of technology issue back at home that needed resolving. And I could feel sort of tension, worries rising and was aware of them, had that mindfulness to be aware of them. But even so, just that, that managing the relationship between my amygdala and my sort of rationalization of that is a, is a very complicated skill. So for, for those of us that have the, the benefit of maybe having some of the blessings I've had or indeed gone much further than I have, that's maybe fine. But what about someone who hasn't had the chance to learn this at school. It's wonderful that you've encouraged such a focus on social and emotional learning in schools. It, it must surely continue. It's, it's a vital building block. Mm -hmm. But if we are here in adult life and we want to cultivate more emotional intelligence, where do we start then? What can we do? Well, <clears throat> first of all, listen to feedback. I think it's good to hear from other people uh, what it is we could use help with. Uh, Robert Burns said, oh, that the gods, the gift would give us to see ourselves as others see us. Mm. It's, uh, it's a rare thing. You need someone you trust, someone you respect, uh, someone who can be frank with you to give you an honest uh, look at where you could get better. And then uh, it's possible to um, actually go through a systematic uh, learning plan to get better. So for example, with empathy, one thing that helps is to get feedback from other people. You know, you make your guess as to what people are feeling, but then if they tell you what they're feeling, well, then you know whether you're right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And that helps you with a learning curve. Uh, if you're going to use to deploy a method to recover more quickly from being upset, there are many such methods. Uh, you need to do it systematically. And by the way, for mindfulness to help you, it's important to do it daily or as close to daily as you can uh, to get the brain effect that I was talking about. So in other words, there are ways in, in the social emotional learning programs you mentioned, they take the components of emotional intelligence, the four parts, self-awareness, self-management, uh, empathy, social skill, and they teach these to children in an age appropriate way. And they do it continually from even pre-K to, um, to the time they're going off to university. And so it helps the, ch the children's brain uh, connect better so they don't have to you know, do remedial work later in life, mm. which we call either psychotherapy or action for happiness or whatever you can find. It's gonna help you. I, I love that advice to listen and sort of tune in to feedback about your behavior. And, and, and to some extent implicit within that is a sense of sort of vulnerability, a, a willingness to acknowledge that you might need to do some work on yourself. And of course, 
the challenge I feel or what's coming up for me is what happens when we're in fight or flight mode? I, I, you know, when we're feeling attacked, our sort of defenses go up. We're less likely to listen to feedback. We're more likely to have a, a strong sort of sort of confrontational reaction. And I, I sort of wonder if many times as I look around us in modern society, we're seeing to some extent a societal fight or flight response in some of the polarization, some of the sort of uh, fear of the other that we're seeing. Is it possible to help people lower this sort of fight or flight um, mechanism because in, in many ways you can't begin to tap into your self-awareness and connections to others whilst you're in that heightened state. Precisely. Uh, <clears throat> there's a uh, method that I've been teaching to, um, to actually frontline medical people to help shift from that fight or flight response where you're not open to hearing anything. You get very defensive, very angry, whatever it might be, uh, to a mode where you're calm again. Uh, relaxation or parasympathetic nervous system mode, as we say technically. And it's very simple, it goes like this. Uh, you take a deep breath, you inhale so that your belly expands. You hold that breath as long as is comfortable for you. And then you exhale very slowly. And then you take another deep breath into your belly, hold it as long as is comfortable. Exhale very slowly. And again, inhale deeply. Hold for as long as you can. Exhale, a long exhale. And you do this, say, six to nine times. And research shows that this shifts the body from that fight or flight response to a very relaxed state. And it does it right on the spot. I'm, I'm really benefiting from having just done that for some deep breaths, Dan, thank you. Yes. I, I was intrigued by what you said about teaching this particular skill to frontline healthcare workers, because I think that's such a an importantly timely topic. We know we have so much even more deep and, and, and uh, heartfelt affection for people who are putting themselves at risk in the current crisis. And of course, they're dealing with life and death situations. Is it therefore possible to use that kind of skill in, in a real moment of tension, just you know, to have that in your back pocket, even when you're facing a really difficult situation? Is it, is it, is, is it able to act on us as quickly as it felt like it could on me then? Well, I think when you're first doing it, it's good to, uh, you know, be in private. But if you get good at it, you can do it on the spot. You can do it when you're talking to someone. <clears throat> so, yes, it's, it's a kind of good thing to have in your back pocket for those moments. And, you know, the healthcare workers are, I think, they're modern saints because they're putting themselves at risk to save other people's lives. And they have high anxiety about getting a virus themselves and also bringing it home to people they care about, their family, their friends. Uh, so it's a high anxiety time, understandably. And anxiety, as I said before, has its function, but if it's too high, then it can become immobilizing. So it's good to have methods that can help us recover quickly. You're listening to the Action for Happiness podcast. In the second half, Dan talks about the foundations of emotional intelligence, or EI. Emotional intelligence in schools and the workplace, and we end on a beautiful but brief deep breath meditation.
A key aspect of emotional intelligence that you touched on at the beginning is about our, not just our dealing with our, our own emotions, but our interaction with others. What are some of the ways that we can deepen that sense of uh, social and emotional intelligence, the way that we understand each other and relate to each other? Yeah. Well, it turns out that one of the um, exercises like mindfulness that strengthens the part of the brain that cares about other people uh, is uh, a loving kindness meditation or a circle of caring, which I believe is part of uh, the repertoire in action, isn't it? It is, yes. We often yeah. encourage that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've done it with different groups uh, in terms of what I call a circle of caring, where you think of someone you're grateful for. Gratitude is so important. And I know you work with gratitude. And, and well, maybe we could try this now. Do you want to just talk us through the stages of that, those circles? Sure. And we could all try and visualize it while you're speaking. Yeah. So just bring to mind uh, a person or people in your lives that you're, you're grateful for, who've been kind to you, who've helped you along supported you at some point in your life. And with that person or people in mind, just to make the following wishes, you know, may you be safe, happy, healthy. May you have a life of fulfillment. May you thrive. Just repeat those phrases silently to yourself with those people as, as the target of that phrase. And now bring yourself to mind. Make the same wishes for yourself. May I be safe, happy, healthy. May I have a life that's fulfilled. May I thrive. Repeat those phrases for yourself. And now bring to mind people you love, people you deeply care about, and wish them the same. May they, may you all be safe, happy, healthy, have a life of fulfillment. May you thrive. And then think of people you know, your neighbors, acquaintances, people at work, whoever it may be. Make these same wishes for them. May you be safe, healthy, happy. May you have a life of fulfillment. May you thrive. And now, in all directions, make those wishes for everyone everywhere. May you all be safe, happy, healthy, have lives of fulfillment. May you thrive. And research, Mark, has shown that 
this exercise makes people more generous, more caring, more likely to help someone in need. Uh, also makes people happier. The Dalai Lama says, <clears throat> the first person to benefit from compassion is the one who feels it. Yes. Yeah. So the very wish is yeah. Thank you for sharing that exercise. I've, I've, I can feel both calmer and more connected to others as a result. And we've had a, a series of wonderful um, guests in these events uh, to share skills around our relationships with each other. Dr. Roxy Manning recently helping us understand nonviolent communication, which feels to me really closely related to the idea of being emotionally and socially intelligent. But I guess as we look more widely around the world, Dan, there's lots of unhelpful trends in society. There are behaviors and attitudes and sort of in-group and out-group and polarization. And I don't want us to dive into political conversations, but I wonder if we could help everyone everywhere to use your lovely last circle of concern to develop more emotional intelligence. Mm. Do you think that would contribute to uh, a happier, calmer and kinder world? It feels to me like it's the building block or at least one of the building blocks that we're, we're missing in modern society. Yeah, I think there's a, a fast track and a slow track here. The slower track is social emotional learning, <clears throat> helping coming generations be less likely to contribute to the problems. <clears throat> the fast track, uh, actually this comes from a book I did with the Dalai Lama, Force for Good. He's, he urges everyone to be a leader for the good, to take action for happiness and beyond. He says, each of us has our own sphere of influence our own set of talents, our own capabilities, our own levers, you know, in whatever uh, way we can leverage things. And if we use that for the good, and if we act now, even if we will not see the fruits of our actions in our lifetime, we can help as an aggregate create a force for good in the world. And I see that as working against, you know, uh, implicit racism, which is a huge problem. Uh, the environmental damage we all do in our daily lives, inadvertently, but still, uh, you know, and perhaps even for that gap between rich and poor has only been widening, uh, which but seems almost criminal, as the Dalai Lama puts it. So what he's saying, basically, is think of yourself as having a sphere of influence, might be your family, family and friends, might be work, might be politics, if you're situated that way, but not necessarily. But whatever you can do, do it now. That's the key. Dan, it's so lovely to hear that. And uh, we were so grateful in that book, the Force for Good book you wrote with His Holiness, mm -hmm. that it mentioned the Action for Happiness movement. So I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank all of those individuals, I'm sure many of which are joining us on this event, who have taken a step to be a force for good in their local communities. They've been running our local community courses. We've had since the lockdown, people running Zoom-based groups. So if you're not already involved in one near you, then please do check those out online, folks. And there were so many people that I get inspired by every day in our wider community that are such a force for good. And it reminds me of that wonderful other book you wrote called Focus, where you talked about focus on self, focus on sort of others, and then focus on social change more widely. So you've just articulated you know, a whole range of really big social issues from systemic racism to inequality, climate, and so on. Um, you mentioned when we spoke the other day about sort of the bystander effect or how to some extent being just aware of these things isn't enough. Do you want to say a bit more about that? Yeah. I, I was telling you about a friend of mine, Irv Staub, who as a child was saved from uh, death by the Nazis in 
Hungary by Rural Wallenberg, who made him a Swedish citizen, at least temporarily. He came to the States and became a social psychologist and he studied the roots of evil. And what he found was uh, an unnamed but really important factor is the silence of bystanders. If you hear someone make a racist remark, a joke or act in some way which is a racist, uh, you know, if you say something, if you oppose it on the spot, it's very different than if you just stay silent because the silence can be read as support, as uh, agreeing with what's being said. So speaking up is very important even in mundane everyday interactions as a way to stop evil from growing. Uh, I find that a very powerful recommendation. Thanks, Dan. So let's turn to some of these questions and I may still sneak a few of my own in as well, but there's been quite a few people asking about uh, the teaching of emotional intelligence in schools. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I just like to credit, I mean, your, your book and the foundations you laid has led to a very, very wide uptake of social and emotional programs, although we'd all love to see it go much further. It's really quite remarkable how many schools and institutions have at least some uh, aspects of this built in now. What do you think should be the priority as we look ahead in our education system? So for example, Gareth was asking, um, what should we be teaching in schools? And, um, and he was contrasting the sort of curriculum that currently focuses primarily on the acquisition of knowledge which is our, you know, and our exam-based system. What would you say about the direction for education? Well, you know, I think knowledge is very important. I'm not against knowledge. You know, both my parents were academics, uh, but I feel it's it's necessary but not sufficient. And that uh, teaching the uh, basics of emotional intelligence, social emotional learning, as it's called when it's translated into a curriculum, is essential. Uh, and um, I, you know, when I wrote Emotional Intelligence, I had just been one of a half dozen people who founded a group called the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning, which is the premier group worldwide that's been furthering the cause of social emotional learning. Uh, and it, as you mentioned, it's, it's remarkably successful, but there are many, many more schools uh, where you could reach children who don't get that education now. But one of the things we've identified is the need to be sure teachers are helped in along these lines because they're the model. They're the classroom, you know, uh, person of, of influence and power and kids are looking to them. So if it's just a rote lesson in SEL, it's not enough. You need to be sure the teachers embody uh, self-awareness, self-management, empathy, and so on in order for children to learn it and also that it's age appropriate. We also find it's important to bring families in. Uh, I wrote another book, Mark, you might want to put this in the show notes. It's called uh, The Triple Focus in Education. It's about what we feel is the future. I did it with uh, Peter Senge at MIT. And we say there are three levels, the three you mentioned, self-focus, self-management. And there we recommend adding mindfulness to the curriculum. Uh, relationship management, collaboration, kindness. And we recommended a, a circle of caring type exercise because that seems to help in, uh, in enhancing the ability to spontaneously care. And then the third was systems learning, understanding how systems operate, the economy, technology. Uh, you know, we were all 
inadvertently culpable in climate warming. And it's because the things we buy and use have no marking for us to understand what their actual impact is on the environment. There may be some, and I, I applaud that, but you know, there are eight global systems that support life on the planet. And uh, you may buy some chips that have the carbon impact mark, but you don't know about, you know, how did they grow those potatoes? What, what kind of fertilizer did they use? Did the fertilizer, was it nitrogen based? Did it run off into a river than the ocean? Did it kill life in a body of water? You don't know that. We can know it. There's a methodology for it. And if those impacts were marked at the point where we making a purchase decision, then you could look at one pack of chips or another and decide, well, I'll get the one that's least harmful, mm. which would create a free market mechanism, a market force to pressure companies to improve their actual footprint. Right now, we don't know it. So that's the kind of thing I'd love to see the next generation insist on or help make real. Uh, so those are the three, and it's called the triple force. Yeah. Thank you. And I, and I love what you said about the importance of the role of teachers in the education system as well, because not only do they need to embody it, but of course, many teachers are dealing with really difficult emotional situations. And these are skills that can really help them thrive in, in challenging times. So let's wind back from the, the sort of uh, learning and social realm back to the individual. Magnus has asked a fascinating question. Um, I find that when I'm angry, what I need to do in order to get back to normal is to cry and give myself a bit of a sort of soothing touch. How come my system doesn't go to sadness right away? So why? So so it feels like in some ways an element of mm. grief helps overcome anger. Is that is that is there sort of something we can learn from that? Yeah. Well, Mark, as I've told you, I hesitate to try to do psychotherapy online in a webinar, uh, and so in a particular case, there's no telling why you go from anger to sadness, but it's it shows self awareness that you even notice this, and I commend you for that and that you have found a way to manage your anger, even if it takes you through some rough emotional passages. So I, I would say that actually you're on your way to a very positive self-management. You might want to deploy other methods uh, and you, know, you might want to explore what, where is the source of the hurt that you're soothing uh, in your life, but that's not something we can do here online, it's something you might do with a counselor actually. Thank you, very wise, Dan. Gary's asked, in these strange times with so much disruption in the world, how can we support and guide people who are less resilient uh, to help them cope with the uncertainty around us? Well, one of the first things you can do is manage your own emotions uh, because emotions are contagious. It turns out that uh, people who are very calm, who are very centered, can communicate that state to other people non-verbally. Uh, through uh, parts of the brain that connect invisibly brain to brain. They form a kind of emotional back channel to any interaction. So the first thing you can do is take care of yourself. Then the second thing you can do is listen, be present to the person. What is it that is actually going on with them? And having someone who is fully attentive, you know, it creates a kind of healing presence. You know, there are three kinds of empathy. There's cognitive empathy, you understand how the person thinks. You can be an effective communicator because you know the words they use to explain things. Then there's emotional empathy where you pick up what someone is feeling. 
And then the third kind of empathy is really important. It's called empathic concern. You care about the other person. It, it's in the brain, it's based on the mammalian caretaking circuits. It's a parent's love for a child. So if you can be there, if you can be present to the person with caring, uh, it has a very healing and soothing effect on the person. They feel seen, heard, and cared about. How can we use emotional intelligence when we're facing sort of difficult situations? He's mentioned incivility from colleagues. So when people are being treating mm -hmm. us in a way that we feel upset about in the workplace. Yeah. As I said, the first thing you can do is help yourself. You know, manage your reaction to the incivility uh, rather than, for example, getting angry or being too passive and just taking it but rather, you know, being calm, being clear. And then maybe you can say something to the person if it's appropriate. If it's your boss, I'd recommend you don't say something. You might say something to the boss's peer, uh, or you might send the boss's Vita out to an executive recruiter and maybe they'll get a position somewhere else. It's a joke, but really some people have done it. Uh, but basically I think the, the way to manage incivility is first to handle your own upset. And then, if appropriate, to say something to the other person. That's very wise. And I can already feel that there were many times when I um, am prone to react instantaneously rather than sort of calmly internalizing and dealing with it and then choosing how to respond a bit more calmly and rationally. So thank you for that reminder. Is it possible to have too high level of emotional intelligence that it might stop you getting things done or be able to focus on uh, some more sort of achievement oriented aspects of life? I think uh, really you're talking about an imbalance in emotional intelligence. There's some people, for example, who have too much emotional empathy. Uh, there's research that shows that when people uh, see someone in great pain or suffering, like a burn patient, uh, they get flooded through that uh, second kind of empathy, the emotional empathy, they get flooded themselves. And then they tune out, which is not helpful. So it, it really is important to manage your own reactions first, and then uh, you can respond. And also, by the way, speaking about the workplace, uh, the re research really shows that the higher a person's emotional intelligence, the better their performance, the more loyal they are to their organization, uh, the more likely they are to help out someone else you know, the better organizational citizen they become. So I don't think it's really possible to have too much emotional intelligence. You can have too little of this though, and too much of that. It's an interesting question, I think, but since you wrote your first book and we're celebrating 25 years since the first book came out, what, what particularly have you learned that sort of supplemented or changed your original thoughts about emotional intelligence? What's the sort of latest perspective that has changed sure. along the way? Yeah, well, um, couple of things. For one, in the new introduction to the 25th edition, which is coming out now, uh, I include an updated model of emotional intelligence. At first, I thought there were five parts to it. Now I see there are four, the four I mentioned, self-awareness, self-management, empathy, and social skill. What I did was fold motivation, which I saw as something separate, into self-management because you know, keeping your eye on the goal despite setbacks, which is the drive to achieve. Some see it as a motivation. I see it as something that's learned and learnable and is a very effective way to help manage yourself. So um, that's one thing. And then within each of those four domains, uh, there are about a dozen competencies that we see uh, among outstanding people, leaders in the workplace, 
people who are high performers. And that model is in the new introduction to the 25th edition. And also uh, I've understood, as I said before, the importance of extending emotional intelligence and, and the awareness of it to the systems level so that we can be more effective in acting for the common good. Dan, um, I know you've got lots of resources that we can potentially share with the community in our follow-up tomorrow. We'll send a link to the, the updated book. I believe you have a, a free resilience-based program, is that correct? Yes, and the URL I think you can give to people. I can share with people, yes. Is there anything else you'd like to share in terms of resources that people could use to put some of this into practice as they leave yeah. this? And people who find this work interesting might be uh, might want to know I'm starting a new podcast and you can give the URL to help get that going uh, where I'll be interviewing people. I, I just did one with Laurie Santos who taught this wonderful course on happiness at Yale. The, Yes, Laurie's joined us for one of these webinars as well. She's fantastic. Exactly, yeah. So I'm people who interest me are, will be on the podcast, and uh, I think you'll be able to mention other resources. But yes, the resilience program for people who really want to work on, uh, you know, and with lockdown and COVID, we're all being challenged. This is a free program uh, that's being offered. And Mark, it's kind of you to put that and other resources people may want to follow up on. Uh, on your website. Kind of you to share so much of this stuff, you know, for free with the world, Dan. So, Dan, would you like to share one other idea or perhaps just a, another mindful breath or two with us? Well, let's do the deep breathing, uh, just to be sure, because if you want to master it, it's good to practice it. So here we go. Breathe in deeply. You can close your eyes if you want. So your belly expands. Hold that breath as long as it's comfortable for you. and exhale slowly. And again, breathe in deeply, expand your belly, hold it. And when you need to, just exhale slowly. And again, deep inhalation, belly expand. Hold it. Exhale slowly. And there you go. And on your own, you can do this six to nine times when you feel you really need it. Thank you, Mark. Dan, thank you. I'm seeing so much gratitude and lovely comments on the chat. Thank you, everyone, for being here and for all the great contributions. I'm sorry we haven't had a chance to answer more of the questions, but thank you for all the great questions that came in. Dan, just as we leave with a minute to spare, I wondered if you had any final thoughts to sort of summarise this idea of emotional intelligence and, and particularly how we can put it into practice in the situation we find ourselves in the world right now. What, what would you like to leave us with? Sure, just a few words. First, help yourself. Then second, tune in, be present for other people. And third, show them that you care. That's emotional intelligence. That's very wise, very moving uh, and very much appreciated. Dan, thank you so much for making time for this and for being here. And thank you all for joining us on this event. Dan, it's a pleasure to see you again. Best of luck and keep up the great work. Thank you, Mark. Always a pleasure.
And remember, if you'd like to help create a kinder and happier world, please get involved with Action for Happiness. You can join thousands of others who are spreading a bit more happiness in their homes, workplaces, schools and local communities. Our website has all the information you need about our local Action for Happiness groups and courses, where you can find out about our monthly groups and our online 10-day course. You can also be part of a supportive community sharing daily ideas and inspiration on our app. Search Action for Happiness on your app store, join the movement, be the change.